listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show where we talk to garden professionals from all walks of life, growing all sorts of different plants. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. If you have any questions about something in your garden, please post it on our Facebook page, and maybe we can answer the question on the air. This morning, we are going to be talking about native plants with Peggy Ann Montgomery from American, American Beauties native plants. Good morning, Peggy. Well, good morning, Kate. Thank you so very much for having me on your show. You are more than welcome. Um, So let's start with a little bit of background um, and how you got uh, maybe interested in native plants, because that's a fairly, I think that's been around maybe for about 10, 10, 15 years, sort of the interest growing in native plants. You know, that's absolutely true, Kate. And I think I'm in my 50s, so I think a lot of people that studied horticulture back in the day, um, appreciating natives wasn't really part of the curriculum. And I think people are now starting to become more aware of all the connections that our ecosystem has between plants and wildlife and the food we eat and all of that. So I'm happy to see that it's gaining um, in interest. Um, I've um, studied horticulture in the Netherlands and ran a landscape business there specializing in sustainable landscapes, which I think was um, uh, Europe was a little bit ahead of the United States when it came to that. And um, I've always been interested in natives, and I was lucky enough to study for two years at Mount Cuba Center before joining American Beauties. So um, I've got sort of my dream job. <laughs> lucky you. Um, so, yeah. so how would you define a native plant. I mean, is it the same across the world how people define native plants? Oh, absolutely not, Kate. I think there's as many definitions of native plants as there are gardeners. Um, some people that are doing restoration work, for instance, really want to use local ecotypes, and we really applaud that work. Um, at American Beauties, our definition is a little bit broader because we're trying to be more inclusive and um, just get more regular homeowners to um, to begin to try and incorporate some native plants into their yard. So we define natives as the straight species and their cultivars, with cultivars um, being selections of straight species that haven't been hybridized with other species. Isn't that a mouthful? Sure. And, uh, <laughs> yes. And, I mean, yes. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, even in, in nature, um, plants mutate and they give us an other characteristics that the color is a little darker or different or the plant is more compact. And it's those natural selections that we include also. Okay. Um, and are the natives the same across the the mainland con- continent of the, the USA? Or do natives have maybe localized ray, uh, areas like uh, maybe the, there are some that are native to maybe the, the northeast specifically and others that are maybe native to the midwest or the southwest yes absolutely um, what we do at american beauties 
um, we license growers in different parts of the United States, and we work with those experts to um, make a pallet of plants that they will grow and sell into their area. So as you can imagine, our grower, Savano Nurseries in Arizona, is growing a completely different pallet of plants than, say, Pride's Corner Farms in Connecticut. And, and so does that mean that they wouldn't count as natives if they came to this side of the, the continent? If they, if, if, assuming you, know, you could get them to grow. <laughs> assuming you could get them to grow. Um, you know, some plants have a really, really wide um, uh, natural range. Some, some plants are native in, you know, 48 states. Um, I think the question about whether or not it's native in one place or another is really about the food web. Are those plants, if I brought in a southwest native and planted it here, would the insects and wildlife in this area be able to um, engage with it, eat it, um, you know, or use it as a host plant? So that's a question that's really kind of um, plant-specific. Um, so I think what we've tried to do is by offering an, uh, a palette of plants that's native to a particular area, try to make it a little bit easier for consumers when they get to the garden center that they don't feel overwhelmed and that they can say, I know these plants do well in my area. Okay. Well, let, let's try and clear up some of the um, the terminology uh, that I've that I've come across o- over the uh, the time. Um, some okay. I know I know wildflowers sometimes aren't counted as uh, natives, but there's also natives, nativars, cultivated native, and cultivars. I mean, are they all different names for a native plant? <laughs> you know, gosh, sometimes Kate, I think in horticulture. We make it so difficult for ourselves to talk um, when we get into all these things. I think they are different. A, a wildflower just means that it seeds itself. Somebody hasn't planted it in a particular place, and it kind of gives the impression that they're native plants. Um, a cultivated species is just something that's grown for a particular attribute. And if there's um, native ours are very often... Um, hybrids of native plants and that could still mean that they are beneficial to insects and other wildlife. I think they're all a little a little different, slightly different, but I don't think we should get bogged down in those definitions and um, just start to grow plants and have fun. Oh, I think so. And, uh, <laughs> yes. and, and I know that, um, you know, hy- hybridization obviously happens in nature, and we've touched on that just a, a little bit, um, as well mm-hmm. as in the um, development lab. So would it be correct to say that uh, what is maybe, the, although it's the same species that's in maybe the East Coast and, the, and maybe the Midwest, that, that they are slightly different um, when it actually oh, comes down yeah. to the plant itself? Absolutely, Kate. That's really true. Um, I, when I worked for a big wholesale nursery in the Midwest, um, we considered where we got our seed from for trees and other plants. Uh, even if it was the same plant, if it was an oak that um, was grown in Georgia or one that was grown in Minnesota, there are slight genetic differences. And so you'll see that, um, you know, large growers really check the seed source because they want to have something um you know, that's accustomed to that area, to the area that they're going to plant it in. 
And, and of course, one of the big advantages that I think with um, with native plants um, is that they have survived droughts and long, weary winters, extremely cold winters, extremely mild winters, and they don't actually bat an, an eye at uh, the local weather nasties that, that are thrown at us, which I think is one of their biggest advantages. Oh, I th- you are absolutely right. That's really true. You know, when plants have evolved to grow in a certain place, they are um, you know, they're automatically equipped to handle winters, annual rainfall, summer drought, all of those things. They're less likely to be disease prone. Um, so those are all really great reasons that natives do well. In fact, we have a small meadow in our backyard and, um, I live in Delaware. So when it's August and hot, 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 um, the meadow doesn't skip a beat. They have really deep roots and they just are stunning and I, I never ever water them oh that's nice <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah, plants always have to get established I mean they need water when they're babies but um, the meadow plants and, and and those sort of things once they're established we don't give them supplemental water yeah, and and I know that um, natives can be used to attract pollinators. Um, so are they better at attracting and maintaining pollinators rather than, say, the summer petunias? Um, well, you know, the petunias are, are great too. Um, I think one thing uh, we should remember is that um, some plants have evolved really intricate relationships with insects, like um, the great example, of course, is monarchs and um, butterfly weed. That's the only plant that the larvae of the monarch can eat, and so monarchs need to lay their eggs on that plant. So those specialized, you know, um, relationships um, mean that you can support, help support life by planting um, native plants that attract pollinators to your area. So I think we should think of that. I mean, if a if a bee can get some nectar from a petunia, that's really terrific. But when we're talking about host plants, um, then it gets a little more specific, and we really do need to have those native plants. And I would have thought that that might have been um, disrupted just a, a little um, when people before people were starting to grow food and, and herbs and things like that, uh, and par- whether it would be parsley or dill or something. But did did we put kind of a real dint in in where these monarchs or, or particular species could actually uh, survive? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And Kate, this is a, a nationwide um, problem. I. I think what's happened is that some of our pollinators have lost so much habitat due to different farming methods and, um, you know, Roundup-ready crops that they can spray the ditches and and everything else. Certainly in the Midwest, um, you know, butterflies and other pollinators have lost a lot of habitat. And I think that makes each of our backyards so much more important, you know, that wildlife and the pollinators really need to have our backyards as wildlife way stations to get from place to place. And, and I think that the idea of, of way stations, uh, we, we can cover that maybe in, um, you know, one of the other segments and the importance of, of pollinators. But, but did they actually, I mean, can the homeowners actually make a difference? Uh, the individual gardeners, can they make a difference in uh, making um, travel easier for the pollinators? Most definitely. 
Um, you know, Pete, I think that, that the way to start and really help is um, that everybody can do one thing in their own backyard, and that will make a gigantic difference just by thinking about these these plants, these host plants like, um, you know, like milkweed. By incorporating those, we really, really are helping. And, you know, as, you know, we, you know, turn more and more land in, in, into farming and into development, it's increasingly important. Say a, a hummingbird flies all night and lands in the parking lot at Lowe's or somewhere else, it may not actually have enough energy to get up and forage again for food. So, you know, your backyard, everybody's backyard is so important. Oh, yes, and I didn't realize that hummingbirds were part of it. But, uh, you know, and I, I certainly think for, um, you know, people have to get over the idea of spraying for caterpillars. Because if you go back to third grade uh, biology or, or science, you know, caterpillars actually become the butterflies and, and they're, they're the, the food for a lot of birds as well. And, and we'll, we'll get to that uh, maybe in the, um, you know, the upcoming segments. But, uh, but we have to go for our first commercial break here. But everyone will be back talking native plants with Peggy Ann Montgomery on the Master Gardener Hour. We will be back in just a moment. This is Dr. George from Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps, a chronic sinus infection, or allergies that are either undertreated or have never been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we use state-of-the-art equipment so you can see the problem. You'll be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment because we believe in old-fashioned medicine where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery, correction of a nasal septal deviation, and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office getting you back to work the next day. And you can rest assured that all options will be discussed before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. If you'd like to make an appointment, call 404-591-9100 or reach us on the web at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find archives at americaswebradio.com webpage. You can find them on iTunes and you can find them on Stitchers. This morning, we are talking native plants with Peggy Ann M- Montgomery from American Beauty's Native Plants. And we talked about the importance um, of having some uh, pollinators and native plants in the in the landscape, um, but I know with with pollinators particularly, um, you know, when you've got a, a a caterpillar, for instance, if you spray it, what are the ramifications of that? Whether it be on a native plant or or um, a vegetable plant, uh, what are the ramifications of actually spraying that as far as pollinators in general go? Oh well, Kate, I think that's been uh, a, a huge part of the problem that we're seeing. Actually, statistics well that homeowners kind of overused pesticides, thinking that a little helps, a lot will help a lot more, but 
each one of those caterpillars is going to turn into a beautiful butterfly or moth. And that's really, really important. And we need to have all of those to have a whole ecosystem. Remember, if there aren't any caterpillars uh, to feed the young, you know, we won't have birds either. You know, they won't be able to um, find enough food to raise their families. So um, I think that's really, really critical to try to pull away from that. And generally speaking, um, you know, your garden will right itself. You know, one year you might have a little bit more of this and the next year a little bit less. And I think we have to maybe adjust our perceptions of beauty. And, um, you know, there's going to be some holes and some leaves, and we have to be okay with that and know that we're just helping caterpillars to grow up. Yeah, and does that include um, maybe my my veggie plants? You know, when when that little white butterfly lands on the veggie plants, I'm assuming that they call it the cabbage white predominantly because it likes my cabbages. <laughs> so so is, is that kind of a happy medium? I mean, can they find something else rather than my cabbages to to put their their um, their uh, eggs on and uh, caterpillars? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with Mother Nature. We have to give a little bit and take a little bit. And I know that veggie gardeners, um, you know, don't always find that um, particularly great. But, um, I, you know, you know, you could even put those caterpillars off. But if you have a healthy garden and a lot of bird life, those birds are going to do an awful lot of that work for you. It's amazing how many little caterpillars they need every day to raise their young. Okay, I may maybe sacrifice, put one or two two plants out to sacrifice them for the need of the butterfly and do it that yeah. way. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. If you can, I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, um, because obviously, whenever you grow veggies, you need to have pollinators, and I think any way to attract a pollinator and the birds is. I mean, I think a lot of gardeners enjoy seeing birds, apart from the bird feeders. You know, it's nice to have them uh, in the garden. Um, but uh, but let's talk a little about the. Native shrubs. I mean, shrubs are called the the furniture of a landscape because they can get big, um, and, but they're attractive. Um, and I think actually, when I look at my own landscape, that is predominantly where my natives are. Uh, the native shrubs in in the landscape, um, like things like viburnums. And so, so what yeah. is the, what is the problem, perhaps, with people's perception that some of these shrubs actually are nice worthy shrubs and oh by the way they are native too right i think people would be surprised they're probably already growing um, a variety of plants that are native and they just might not know their origin um certainly that's true uh with large growers and years ago i kind of did a roundup of all the plant awards around the country and what that exercise taught me was that um how many natives and native cultivars are in their ranks? Of course, they're great landscape plants because they've, um, you know, come to live in this, you know, live in a particular area. And shrubs are backbones of our gardens and their flowers in the spring. Cover for birds. They um, are a nesting area. It's to let their leaves lay on the ground when they drop in the fall. All insect life will be there. There will be caterpillars, crickets waiting to um, waiting to open up in spring. So there's a amazing variety of shrubs that all I can't 
excellent uh, landscape plants that also just happen to be native. Okay, and and because um, obviously these natives survive in the wild, um, whether they be be shrubs or, or plants, and they have to obviously um, mature and produce a flower uh, to to survive, and whether whether it be with um, berries or or whatever. So, would it be fair to say that most of them are not as susceptible to deer browsing and other insect damage as some of the um, exotic ones? Well, boy, when it comes to, I'm always very careful what I say. Those rascals uh, will eat just about anything if they're hungry. Um, some plants are kind of have um, a pubescent or a fuzzy foliage. They tend not to like that. Um, but um, I'm, I'm a little careful when I talk about deer. Um, but the um, insect problems, I, I think that um, you can definitely say that because they've evolved in a particular area, they're not going to be normally susceptible to that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and, okay, let's um, move on to maybe perennials. Um, I've heard a lot about uh, Pollinator Pathways, which is a national organization. Um, so, so what role maybe do the perennial plants have maybe in attracting pollinators and as part of that overall movement um, for the, the pollinator highways or, or something like that? Well, you will know it's, it's sort of that planted and they will come. Um, there are plants in my yard that I can practically count on. If I look over at them, there's going to be butterflies. Um, one of those is um, Phlox paniculata gina. This is my favorite perennial to come out in years. Um, it's called, the flowers are smaller than um, a regular garden flock, but there's a lot of them. And when they bloom for an exceptionally long period of time, and they do not get any powdery mildew, um, which is saying something in uh, in this uh, area. Um, and every time I look over, there are swallowed butterflies on it. Um, so there's going to be a lot of um, perennial plants we know are major attractors for nectar and pollen for pollinators. And so it's really exciting if you can think about your gardening so that you can have something blooming all through the year to provide um, food all year long. And I think ironweed is a typical classic um, native that really blooms quite late in the year. Um, is that one of the latest ones um, that would that would typically bloom? Yes, it is. And I love ironweed. Uh, Renonia is an incredible plant. It always seems like when the yard is beginning to look kind of colored, they start to flower, and their color is so extraordinary. And they are a fantastic um, source of um, food, pollen, and nectar for a variety of animals. And, you know, another one I would talk about are asters. Now, the names have all changed, and they're calling aster levis symphoticum, but asters are a wonderful way to extend the color of your garden into the way into the fall and... Um, you know, the, all the butterflies will enjoy the nectar and the pollen. It's a great late-season late food source. And, and I think goldenrod is another one that's, that's kind of very late in the year, the native version of that I remember in Ohio. Um, that, that used to bloom in the, um, towards the end of the year, uh, about the time of yes. the black-eyed Susans and things like that. Exactly. It's really nice because, you know, when you talk about all of those prairie plants, like black-eyed Susan and... Uh, um, 
Solidago and all of that, those, they really come to shine kind of in the later part of the summer. So they really bring a lot of color impact um, to your garden and are outstanding food sources. And, and what about um, when we find something, as I call them, guests in the garden, um, whether they are native or whether they're the invasive? For instance, um, a rose bush. Um, I've got a rose bush in this garden, and I had one in the last garden. Um, how do you know when 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 you it grows? Whether you've got the native one that's being a guest, or whether it's one of the invasive aggressive ones? Um, well, I guess that's you know I think. That's a good question, Kate. I'm not exactly sure how to answer it. I mean, if, if you're talking about something that comes up spontaneously, um, I think you might have to wait and, and, until you can identify it and know if it's native or not. Are you talking about a rose? In well, I know, I know that there are a lot of invasive rose varieties. Um, yeah, yes. rose and multiflora is just terrible. Oh yes, <laughs> and uh, they seem very, very viable. Um, so, and I think think um, the the invasive one does that have a different flower color or a different flower flower style, for instance, than the um, na- native versus the invasive wretch that uh, invades the the garden. <laughs> <laughs> the invasive wretch. Well, across the country, there are a lot of invasive wretches. Um, you know, I we have a really different if we if we're growing sub roses or tea roses, you'll see that they they have a lot of different stem is much smaller. Um, it's usually a small single pink rose, pink petals. Um, and you know that although that you know that's an invasive and also I think you should know that not every native is something you want to put in your yard. Um, it's always right plant for right place. So, so some some of the natives can can be um, a little over friendly in the garden. Well, that's why at American Beauties we've carefully curated these collections not to include any plants that are going to become thugs in your yard. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think so, some of the um, aggressive ones um, would, would certainly put people off growing natives for a while. Um, so, so just because it's native doesn't mean it's a good plant for the garden. Is that right? I think that's true. I mean, there are, are uh, native plants that I don't think you'd want to include into your beautiful home landscape, and that's okay. Um, but there are so many that are that that choice is pretty much unlimited and there's no reason to have to include anything that um, would misbehave. But what would be an example of one of the um, ones probably not to include? Would they be, would they be annuals or perennials predominantly? Um, I suppose it could be either. Um, probably annuals because annuals would um, sow themselves, you know, uh, at the end of the year and come up again and so I think being able to sew themselves out like that could be a problem and gosh I can't think of one right off the top of my head I'm sorry oh that's, that's okay but anyway we need to take another quick commercial break here um, but we will be back talking more about natives in the landscape with Peggy and Montgomery and we will be back with more on the Master Gardener Hour we will be right back do your children know where their food comes from at ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. 
Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. back listening to the Master Gardener Hour. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking native plants with Peggy Ann Montgomery, and we talked a little about some of um, the specific plants, Peggy. Um, So let's talk about the landscape as a whole. If we want to start maybe... um, Doing our redoing our landscape slowly to include natives. Um, are there any small trees, for instance, that would fit into a, a modest landscape uh, that don't, don't, for instance, get too big? Oh yes, um, there there certainly are, and and more and more um, smaller species are are coming out or cultivars of smaller species. So I think that's um, absolutely true, and I I think you have to remember when you're landscaping. To think about a layered garden, that there's a tree level and a shrub level and a place for herbaceous perennials and annuals and a vegetable garden, too, if you're lucky. Um, there are some smaller ones like um, sweet gum. Um, there are uh, critagus, you know, hawthorns aren't very big trees, and they are terrific. Um, Cordus has some beautiful trees that aren't very large. Uh, so there's all kinds of things to choose from. And um, a quick search on our website and pull up things that uh, would be native to your area. And and what about um, full sun versus shade? Um, if we've got a shady area that we want to put natives in, are there, are there just as many uh, shady plants or plants for shady areas as there are for full sun? I, I guess I kind of look, look at them as being mainly kind of woodland-type plants. No, actually, that's not true at all. Um, native, there are native plants that perform well in every garden type. I mean, all the prairie plants are grown in full sun, and there are a lot of um, native plants, plants like mudflat, um, trillium, and mudwort, and you know all these kinds of things. Pristogonum uh, is a great ground cover for shady areas. Um, so there's a what you know there's a wide variety of native plants for absolutely each and every garden situation okay. also for for really wet areas rain gardens are becoming very popular so so what what are some good good ones maybe for full sun um may, maybe we've got a, li- a little area in one corner that that really gets that hot afternoon sun um what would be a good good plant maybe if you're uh, on the east coast um that what that would fit in in that s- scenario as far, far as maybe a shrub and a few perennials um well you know i think if i was going to look at shrubs um i would kind of their food benefits and it's a lot of shrubs that have berries that are really high fat content that are really wonderful to help um, birds and other wildlife get through the winter. Um, so that would be like a northern bayberry or a southern arrowwood. Viburnums are great um, plants for drawing wildlife. Um, the bush, Lindir, smallest tree, that would work well. Um, um, for example, 
another great plant. So I would look at those kinds of things and as far as sunny perennials, goodness, there's a list a mile long. <laughs> um, certainly the black-eyed Susans and Liatris and uh, Rattlesnake Master and um, Saladago and Helenium and, and all the other H's, Helianthus and all the rest. Um, there's absolutely no limit to what you can grow in the sun. And and what about maybe um, if you want some edibles in the garden? Maybe you've got a, a small vegetable garden, and grow, growing food is kind of a very popular thing. Are there any native um, edibles uh, around that oh, maybe absolutely. we could try? Yeah. Yes. Um, pawpaws do uh, well here. That's kind of a fun and interesting fruit. Persimmons are native in this area, so are some grapes, of course. Um, elderberry uh, is beautiful. And not only the berry, um, but the flowers are delightful. I use the flowers in cooking to decorate or to put in iced tea. Um, they're just divine. Um, service berry are so delicious. Um, I try to get out there before the birds eat them, um, but they are fantastic. And very favorite are blueberries. Blueberries have such a beautiful color and a great fall color. They're just an outstanding landscape plant. Oh, I think I think blue, blueberries are, should be on everybody's list, whether they be native or, or otherwise. Um, because I they, they, agree. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that they're, they're they're beautiful looking shrubs, and that little white flower in spring, and then the the blueberries which you eat, and then that stunning red color in the fall. Does the native yeah. perform pretty much like all the cultivars that are around, with oh, that yeah, red yeah, color absolutely. in fall? Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, and you know, and I know that um, you know gardeners in general um, they like to see wildlife um, and and birds and things. So, so what would be maybe if you want something? Um, we talked about the viburnum, which, which sees the birds through the far end of the season. What what about um, good sources for early end of the um, maybe spring or shall we say the, this winter that goes on forever? <laughs> well. I think in the spring that we have to remember that um, birds are busy feeding their young, and they don't feed them um, bird seed or anything. They need to feed them caterpillars. So that's we really have to think about that in the springtime and be grateful for all the caterpillars we have. That's what they really need. During the summer, there's oh, such a variety of things that they can feed on. Um, one thing to think about are Seeds for birds, um, the, the flowers and inflorescence um, offer um, nectar and pollen, and a lot of that seed hangs on into winter. Uh, so do the berries of many plants. And so if you can let your perennials stand up for the winter and not cut them back till the spring, these can offer a fantastic food source. And, and I, I know we talked about, um, you know, the, the native plants as a, a group, um, but if we want to maybe landscape care in general, we've got a lawn. A lot of people have lawn care, which tends to include weed and feeds and, and bug control, grub control and things like that, which eat up the roots of the, the lawn. Um, what, what type of things should we be thinking about when we're, do, when we're asking a lawn care company um, if, we, if we want to encourage, if we're doing native plants? Well, I, you know, you can talk to your landscape company and see if they have uh, uh, natural alternatives 
or maybe you kind of let the lawn care people go. But there might be a little crop grass in your area. Um, I've had a funny story about my father-in-law, who I adore. Uh, he came over one day and he said, what's going on? You know, I walked into your backyard and the bird song is deafening and there's butterflies all over the place. Why isn't this happening at my house? And I said, well, <laughs> because you're killing grubs you don't even know you have. <laughs> and... Um, so he, um, he's 92 now, but he, um, since three years ago, has become an organic gardener, and the difference in his garden in just that amount of time is amazing. Oh, yes. And and I think, think well, particularly organic gardening is, is a whole different um, idea to uh, conventional stuff. Like I remember we were in, um, I think it was Indiana, and we had about five acres, and it was very open uh, for most of it. And my mother was astonished that we let the dandelions grow. She said, well, they're going to go on to somebody else's. I said, well, that, that's a, a, somebody's farm, you know. I mean, it's not going to go that far. And I'm, they were sure as heck I wasn't going to put um, weed and feed down five acres. Right. Well, actually, dandelions flower so early that they really are also an important food source. So even if you want to dig them up, let them bloom. And dig them up after that. So, so they're, they're good, good for, for birds as well if we, if we uh, let them flower uh, rather than go to seed, right? Well, for the birds won't eat the flowers, but the insects will. Oh, so so maybe a few dandelions are worth it. And, of course, you can eat the leaves of a dandelion if you haven't sprayed them as well. They're actually an edible exactly. plant, too. Yeah. Exactly. I think about my grandchildren playing in the backyard, and a lot of us have pets, and I don't want them to sit in the grass with those chemicals. And, you know, if you're choosing the right plants for the right place, you really shouldn't have to use those. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I think particularly, you know, um, yeah, with, with kids particularly, it, it's, it's, they, they are, they've got such they're immature systems um, that, that you, it's really ridiculous. The fact that the, the lawn care company has to actually stick or don't, don't walk on the grass is probably telling you something. <laughs> um, yeah, it really is. Again, it's, I think, maybe just about a little bit about changing perceptions of beauty. You know, I, I went to the Philadelphia Flower Show this year and, Landscapes looked so much more naturalistic and included beehives and chickens. And um, so I think their perceptions are slowly changing and being more interesting in a more natural look. Yeah. And I, I remember we were somewhere, though, there was a native plant grower, and she tried putting it, it put some, some of her plants into some of the nurseries, but she couldn't stop the nurseries. Um, weeding and feeding them and putting the chemicals on them, which she didn't do and she wouldn't endorse. So when you see a, a native in a, a nursery, um, can, can you automatically assume it's been treated the same as everything else? Um, you know, I guess you'd, uh, that's a good, really good question, Kate. Um, and I'm not positive of the answer. Um, our plants aren't grown like that. What people do with them when they get into the garden center, um, you know, 2,000 garden centers, I can't vouch for that. But I think it's unlikely. I don't think a garden center, really all they want to do is water the plant and sell it. And I think if they don't have to, um, they aren't spending any extra money on fertilizer or um, pesticides. It's not necessary. I think it's unlikely. 
Okay, so so you you haven't found, found then that uh, you know people kind of spray everything the same regardless because I, I think I heard some something about uh, one of the box stores they sprayed everything and then there, there were no pollinators anywhere close um, when when they'd sprayed everything, um, which was kind oh. of pro- a problem. Absolutely, we don't. Uh, American Beauties doesn't uh, do any business with box stores. We only work with independent garden centers. And I think that people that um, stock a product like ours are sensitive uh, to the needs and the needs of the pollinators. Yeah, um, and you know, I, th- I think it's a little bit di- disturbing. The, the other thing I, f- I find, find is that they'll sell one apple tree uh, with the apple already on it because the apple tree has been in a pollinator environment, and then you go put that in your garden, and nobody mentions. Oh, by the way, you need a second apple tree uh, to pollinate that one. <laughs> um, right, right. Yes, yeah, so, uh, just that whole education system we need to um, we need to get get across. I think to the public as well as those um, those big box stores. Um, but, you know, we need to take our final commercial break here, but come back and listen to more about American beauties uh, with Peggy Ann Montgomery, and we will be right back. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedStuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedStuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. you're enjoying the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We have been talking about native plants with Peggy Ann Montgomery from American Beauty Native Plants. Um, and you mentioned, Peggy Ann, that, that um, they, they just sell to um, independent nurseries, so we can't actually get natives um, through your site. Is that right? That's right, because we license wholesalers, so actually um, our wholesalers sell to garden centers. But what you can do is if you go to our website, and that's abnativeplants.com, you can put your zip code into a little dealer locator on the top right-hand corner, and that will pull up a list of garden centers that stock American Beauty's native plants. That can be your first stop to find them. And, of course, I would always give them a call. Stock changes quickly in the springtime. And and they, and they they would send send uh, you you send send your plants directly to the, those nurseries. Do do the nurseries request different sorts? So if you went to a nursery and they didn't have something that uh, maybe you'd, we'd seen on your site, um, they they could get the nursery to um, to uh, contact you and have have it specially delivered or something. Um, it, it's kind of interesting because if a plant that you really wanted, you ask at your garden center. I'm sure they would do everything they could to get it for you. Okay, um, and and so what else is on um, the American Beauties um, site? Um, I know it's, it's got. Does it have education on um, native plants and about pollinators and the importance of pollinators? For instance, is that on site in little articles or something? Yes, absolutely. If you go to our homepage, you'll see that there's an entrance for home gardeners and for 
growers and, um, you know, for all different sections. So there's all kinds of things on there. There's articles and all kinds of information on native plants and native plant landscapes, designs, and all of that sort of thing. Um, and you can also um, follow our blog at abnativeplants.blogspot.com. <laughs> that sounds kind of long. Um, and we post those once a week. And we'd also like to invite everybody to go to our Facebook page. Um, and all the season long, we have giveaways every month, things from um, uh, we're giving away Garden Chidia, the book by um, Maria Santini this month. And we'll do something fun like that for every month this summer. So I hope everybody will get on board and take part in our conversation. Oh, wow. That would be worth going, going to the website, um, <laughs> sorry, the, fa- the Facebook page. Um, and, and I believe you have a newsletter that's, uh, that you can sign on, on, up for uh, on the site as well. Is that right? That's right. It's a newsletter that is a little bit geared toward the professional, and certainly that would include master gardeners. There's some promotional ideas for our growers and also industry news that we think is important we try to pass along. And it's just once a month. We won't bombard you with um, email every day, but please do feel free to sign up. We would enjoy having you. And and if a local nursery, for instance, uh, independent nursery, doesn't carry natives at all right now, um, how would they, um, assuming we can persuade them that natives are worth uh, carrying, how would they approach you about uh, becoming one of your certified growers or or, uh, retailers? Retailers, well, that would be very easy if you um, uh, contact, if you want to contact me from the website, that mail all goes directly to me, and I would be very happy to direct somebody to the wholesale girl in their area. And and, and then you, you would take, take them to whichever area of the country would be the best um, location for them. Is that right? Well, yeah, where there would be, um, for instance, uh, I have a wholesale grower in Connecticut, and they certainly sell into New Jersey, so I would I would link those two together. Okay, um, and I know that there's something called the the way station, um, which is something that you're doing with um, Better Homes and Gardens or something. Uh, tell me a little about that project. Oh, we are so excited! Um, we're going to be working with Better Homes and Gardens all this summer. There's going to be information in Easy Garden Projects and Country Gardens Magazine. And we're going to be giving away a wildlife way station valued at $7,500 to some lucky winner. And what that includes is um, a garden design in consultation with the well-known author and landscape designer, Scott Calhoun of Zona Gardens, um, and all of the plants and um, water feature and whatever we need to do to build you a perfect wildlife station um, will be part of that package all compliments of American Beauty's native plants. Oh wow, that sounds wonderful. Um, so, so, so I guess for um, a wildlife waste station, um, what kind of elements? Assuming we don't win this wonderful prize, <laughs> um, what, kind, <laughs> what, what kind of elements should we be looking at um, to install um, in, a, in a native uh, wildlife waste station? Um, what type of things should we have in in there? That's a great question, and. We think of them as kind of like four things. The first thing wildlife needs, of course, is a food source. And so that's where native plants come in. So that 
um, insects and other wildlife can be eating their natural diet. Um, another thing a waste station really needs to include is a clean source of water. And that could just be a bird. It could be a pot or, or anything more grand. But um, bringing, you know, a clean source of water to your garden is going to bring so much life to your garden, you, you won't even believe it. Um, and another thing that wildlife all need is they need cover. And evergreen trees, for example, that provides cover all year round, and it provides great nesting. Um, trees and shrubs, of course, also provide um, shelter and nesting opportunities. And um, another place uh, to raise your young just be um, in the leaf litter. If you have a quiet area in your garden um, and it doesn't seem too messy there, if you can leave a pile of sticks and branches um, and frogs and toads and other little animals will make their own little homes there. And and so I guess um, you know if if we're doing this this way station idea, um, these are for the thing, things like the the insects rather than the the rodents and the groundhogs, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have some very active groundhogs here, and I'm not very fond of them. But we are talking about certainly also talking about um, wildlife. You know we. Um, have a fox uh, that visits the garden, and um, we enjoy that. We don't actually feed him, but uh, he comes. But we do have a really wide source of um, birds and um, insect life, and that's very important to us in our garden. So, so we should try not to be too selective as well as uh, what, what well, we should welcome everything, thing, right? <laughs> people go live out in the country, then they're mad that there's deer there. Well, <laughs> you know, um, you've got to that kind of way the good with the bad. I um, I wish my groundhog wasn't eating up my plants, but, you know, um, that's kind of part of me. And, um, you know, the squirrels are some of the birds eat, and that's kind of how it goes. And I, I guess um, all wildlife is kind of interesting to me. And, and we should try and give food sources other than by, by feeding them in bird feeders. Is that what you recommend? Well, I think bird feeders are great for supplemental fooding, uh, feeding, um, and we certainly have um, suet cages and um, um, bird feeders up now. In the middle, late summer, it's a little less necessary because there's so much for them to eat in the garden. But, um, you know, I think that's a great way to supplement the food for, for birds and um, also attract birds to your garden. Think about hummingbird feeders. I mean, there's nothing much funner to watch than um, bunch of hummers at the theater. Oh yes, they're, they're great fun, um, and I think you can track where, where their their arrival um, time as they as they move north on on the web, which is always great fun yes. to do. Yes, I've seen that. Isn't that interesting? Oh yes, yes, it's, it's right right up there there with the eagle comes. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and actually, what we forgot to talk about um, with the waste station, we talked talked about how you can uh, how you're going to get this. What do you actually do to get get it? Um, is there is there a way you can enter from your website, or do we have to buy the magazines? Um, well, it's on our web it's on our web page, um, and you can just go to Facebook, and it will be there. There'll be all the directions on how to sign up. I'll keep refreshing that through the summer. We'll be able to pick the winner in November. Um, if you want to buy Country Gardens Magazine or Easy Garden Projects, that would be great. 
and otherwise you can um, send a photograph of your space and your name and address to Country Garden for the American Garden of Native Plants, and there's an address in Des Moines, Iowa, and all of that information you can find on our Facebook page. And, and I believe you have to say kind of why you want a, a way station, is that right? Right. That's why you want to turn your yard into a wildlife way station. And presumably you have to be over 21 and, the, and a homeowner rather, rather than um, a, a seven-year-old saying, I think we should have this, mum and dad won't mind. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All those normal rules would apply. Yeah, and, and presumably the, um, these have to be homeowners. A school couldn't do it. Is that right? Um, this particular um, event that we're having is for homeowners, um, but we do very often work with schools to build them outdoor classrooms and things like this. Maybe that's think something we could do next year, Kate. That's a good idea. And, and have you found that, that schools are, are um, going more towards um, native plants as well as homeowners and the general organic movement? Absolutely. Um, we find that this is a trend that is really growing, and a lot of schools are paying attention to this. Uh, school that I work with uh, in Minnesota, where I'm from, they have an outdoor classroom. They have three rain gardens. They have, you know, the kids raise the money for solar cells. Uh, for the roof, um, they're composting all of their waste in the school. I think this younger generation I'm excited about. I, I think that they really care about nature, and we're going to see some changes out of the point, I think. And, and are these elementary schools, or does that go through for high schools as well? Um, you know, it goes through high school as well. Um, much familiar um, in Minnesota when I worked for the big wholesaler Bailey Mooseries there, um, they let me give away a hundred thousand trees one spring. Uh, that's all planted by school children from kindergarten to twelfth grade on Arbor Day. It was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool thing I got to do. Oh well, I, I guess we're, we're kind of at the end of the towards the end of the show, Peggy. So, um, what would be maybe um, if people were wanting to do natives, um, they would go to your web, the AB Natives website, to find the nearest place near them. Is that right? Yep, that would be great. It's right on the top, on the right-hand corner. All you have to do is fill in your zip code. And if any of your listeners have questions, they can contact me through the website. They won't be going to a stranger. It will be me that answers them. Okay. Um, well, I'll say that that's kind of the the end of the the show, Peggy. Um, and thank thank you so much for for helping us out with with natives. I think it's a great topic and such an important one with pollinators. Um, okay, we can't thank you enough for allowing us this time to talk about this fun way to garden. Oh, you are welcome. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening to the Master Garden Hour this morning. We'll be back next week with another show talking all about gardens and gardening. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store.
Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Tracy Pearson, and I would like to invite you to listen to the Prissy Tomboy Radio Show only on America's Web Radio starting on February 3rd at 5 p.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. George from Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because I believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individualized. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing or your child has frequent throat infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you will be treated as an individual, not an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed, and all of your questions will be answered. And when possible, I will recommend natural treatments to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. If you'd like to make an appointment, call 404-591-9100 or reach us on the web at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 